Queen's Health Outreach is a student-run registered charity based on the campus of Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. Our goal is to facilitate needs-based peer-to-peer health discussions on a local, national, and international scale. This podcast is for those who are interested in health, global health, global development, ethical engagement, and education. Join us and our special guests bi-weekly as we chat about discussions surrounding all these topics and more. We would like to thank the CFRC 101.9 FM and the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences for this collaboration. Additionally, we would like to acknowledge that Queen's is situated on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. We are grateful to be able to live, learn, and work on these lands. Today we are joined by Madison Robertson, a current research fellow and PhD student in health quality here at Queen's. Madison has experience working in various healthcare roles, including as a physiotherapist assistant, a kinesiologist, and as a dietary aide for seniors. Her current research uses a participatory action approach to understand the feelings of depression and loneliness for spouses who have been separated due to admission into long-term care. As well, she is a teaching adjunct for the third-year undergraduate Healthy Aging course. In her spare time, she also runs her own photography business that specializes in wedding, branding, and lifestyle photography. From Madison's breadth of experiences, she is extremely well-versed in the topics of mental health and overall well-being for older adults. We are really excited to have her join us on the podcast and learn more from her in these next few minutes. Okay, so we'll get started. If if you're okay to just give us a, pl- a brief overview of your research, that would be great. Absolutely. Um, thank you for having me t- today as well. Um, so my research, like you sort of introduced, is about exploring intimate partners' feelings of loneliness and depression um, due to long-term separation when one or both of them is admitted into an Ontari- Ontario long-term care facility. So I guess when people think about getting older, they worry about losing their spouse to death and illness and don't really think about that imposed long-term separation that can occur. But we know that loneliness and depression are really major concern for older adults, um, especially those in long-term care. And that's even further exasperated when these long-term care residents are separated from their spouses. Many are married for multiple years and then in their final years of their life are separated. And so really my study um, is looking to facilitate a process that allows these long-term care residents and spouses to collaborate in research and really just use their own personal experiences and perspectives on spousal separation um, to determine what supports they need when they have been separated and what changes we can make to prevent separation. Um, So like you said in the introduction, I'm using that participatory action research approach. So really what that just means is that the research works both with and for these long-term care residents. So they get to be actively involved in all stages of the design, the execution, and the dissemination of the study. Um, So the participants and I work together um, in order to do the study and then also determine um, what sort of dissemination and what supports we can start to provide these individuals. Yeah, that's so interesting to hear about um, that research approach. I think it's really great how they are involved in um, kind of all stages of planning and uh, dissemination, like you mentioned. I think that's super unique. And um, really just to kind of dive deeper into your research and what you know about loneliness, um, we want to know really what are the general benefits and implications of maintaining those uh, social relationships for older adults' mental health? Um, So, you know, for those older adults who do maintain some sort of social relationships, how does that benefit them? Mm -hmm. So 
from the get-go, we know that social relationships are really important um, for older adults and for people of all ages. But what's really interesting with older individuals is that um, there's this interesting theory. It's called um, the socio-emotional uh, selectivity theory. And basically what it says is that older adults are less interested in creating new social contexts um, when they're older and they're more focused on their current and emotionally important um, relationships. And those meaningful relationships that they've developed throughout their life with spouses, with family, with really close friends are even more important as they get older because they're really less likely to develop new relationships and rely more on the close relationships that they currently have. Um, so when an individual goes into long-term care, they're less likely um, to, um, they're, sorry, they're more likely to have difficulty accessing and engaging in those new, meaningful, high-quality social relationships. And so social support is so important for older adults, both those in long-term care and those living in the community, because really we've seen that there's both direct and indirect relationships between social support and things like loneliness and depression. Um, and so older adults really benefit from close and long-lasting relationships, um, especially with those um, that are their spouses, their partners, and their family members. And then we also know that social relationships aren't um, not only helpful for mental health, but also have physical benefits. It's all sort of connected between the mental health, social and physical um, health of an individual. And they're also really important for the caregivers and family members of older adults. So having those meaningful and being able to maintain those meaningful connections with older adults who have been in, admitted into long-term care are really important for the caregivers, the spouses, and the family members who are still living in the community. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And I think it's something that's also incredibly timely, especially with everything that's been going on with the pandemic. So I guess based on 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 what you've seen and and what you've learned, how has how have these social relationships changed um, during the pandemic? I guess both spousal relationships or part relationships with partners and, and maybe even caregivers as well. And if so, in, in what way? Mm -hmm. So COVID has definitely affected um, individuals' ability to maintain relationships. So with that increase of COVID, especially for older adults and long-term care residents who are more at risk um, as they're older in age from COVID-19, necessary safety measures were really implemented to prevent the transmission of long-term care. So you saw examples of um, long-term care residents weren't able to have their family members come visit them. Um, there were a lot more limited visitations, canceled activities, um, limited personal care services, things like that were canceled. And while these safety measures were extremely important for protecting older adults, um, they really prioritized the physical health of older adults and overlooked impacts on the psychosocial and mental health. And so really what we need to see is a balance between making sure that we're protecting older adults um, from infection of COVID-19 and from that physical health aspect, but we also need mental health support moving forward because ignoring those short and long-term consequences of mental health and psychosocial harm will have lasting negative health effects on older adults. And so I think I've read different articles throughout the COVID-19 pandemic where older adults in long-term care residents felt like they were treated less than human and they felt like 
their loneliness and depression were increased because of some of these restrictions. And while the restrictions were so important to um, prevent the spread of COVID-19, they felt like they didn't have enough support. And so new programs have started to come out for older adults. Um, the use of technology, the use of programs like connecting older adults with the community through phone calls, um, integrating more pet visits and more virtual or distance activities have started to come up as people are starting to realize that the mental health aspect is just as important um, as the physical health aspect as well. And with that technology piece, um, while it's important that we're developing these new advancements in technology to bring t people together and to support relationships, that's also a means to an end. So we have to deal also with the lack of support for the mental health of older adults first, and then we can find ways like technology to help support them better. But at the end of the day, you know, um, older adults do face some stigma and ageism as it comes to things like loneliness and depression, where there are some thoughts about that's normal for getting older. And it's really not normal. And we need to find ways to help them, um, not just for the future in terms of COVID-19, but just for the general future of older adults and their mental health and supporting them through um different aspects of mental health, including things like loneliness, uh, depression, anxiety. Yeah, I definitely think, um, like you were talking about, COVID has affected all of us in so many different ways, but really we can say it has had a disproportionate burden on older adults, especially long-term care residents who can't couldn't have visitors anymore because of the restrictions. Um, and so you mentioned some of the strategies that have been used in the pandemic, such as the use of technology. Uh, so we want to know really, do you foresee these strategies being applicable after the pandemic? I know, um, for example, uh, you know, long-term care residents using iPads to video call or connect with their loved ones. Do you see these things continuing afterwards? Or do you think there are, you know, other strategies we should be focusing on that are perhaps more effective when these restrictions are lifted? Um, I think sort of a a combination. Um, I think the use of technology is important and will continue to be used, especially with um, younger generations getting older who've had more experience with technology. One of the big learning curves recently was teaching a lot of older adults how to use technology. Um, so I think that that technology aspect will always be important and be able to be used more in depth um, through different interventions to help older adults and to help people of all ages, really. But other interventions like um, physical activity, mental activities, um, keeping people involved in more volunteer roles, and having more educational interventions, so having people in continuing education even when they're older, are all sort of proven interventions or activities that can help um, with feelings of isolation and loneliness. Um, there's actually, Kingston has a really great program, it's called the Sunshine Call Program, where an individual can volunteer to reach out and call socially isolated seniors in our Kingston community, which I think is a really um, great program itself. And there's other programs that bring um, things like teaching people how to garden or take care of plants, or even having them connected with getting um, a pet or fostering a pet. And all of these programs have been sort of based off of research that's shown that having tasks to do, like a volunteer role or taking care of a plant or pet, um, all contribute to 
you know, feelings, um, improving feelings of isolation and loneliness. And especially in a sort of a world where we're starting to move to technology more, it's important that we still integrate aspects of being able to be out in the community. Um, and all of these programs that people have been sort of integrated into in the community have improved not only the mental health of older adults, but also the cognitive and physical. So like I said, it's um, sort of all connected. And so there are a lot of different strategies, but it's also important to recognize that there are different type of lo- types of loneliness. And so different programs and different interventions um, are important for the different types of loneliness that people face, as well as the different situations, environments, and sort of health that individuals have as well. And so it's important that um, we sort of continue to develop new programs that not only help individuals um, who have differing needs, but also work with our environment as it continues to change, whether it's through the technology or through different means as well. Yeah, I definitely like some of the other strategies you mentioned, such as, uh, you know, teaching older adults about fostering a pet or gardening. I think those are definitely skills that um, help them find fulfillment and just overall can improve their quality of life. And one thing you also touched upon was how there are different types of loneliness. So do you want to maybe dive deeper into that and maybe expand on uh, what the different types of loneliness actually are? Absolutely. Um, So there's been different research on um, the types of loneliness out there. And the ones that I'm sort of talking about are um, developmental, internal, and situational. So situational is really um, the environmental factors that we face. So things like unpleasant experiences, um, not having enough, um, not having enough social contacts, the environment that you live in. So going into a long-term care facility, that would be sort of a situational loneliness. And those tend to be um, Interventions that help situational loneliness tend to be things like in-person activities, um, as well as mental health and counseling support to deal with those unpleasant experiences or big changes in someone's environment or life. Um, The other one is developmental. So developmental um, tends to be related to things like significant separations, um, someone's physical or psychological disabilities and is a lot more health related. So loneliness related to someone's um, cognitive ability, directly related to mental illnesses. And so interventions that typically help with that type of loneliness um, tend to be related directly to healthcare practitioners who are able to help those individuals. And then the last one is internal. And so internal are really those personal factors, things like low self-esteem, guilt, um, and inability to cope. Um, And we know that, you know, being alone doesn't essentially make a person lonely. Um, You can be, you sort of hear that saying, you can be in a crowded room and um, still feel lonely. And that's what internal loneliness is. And that's where a lot of those deep, meaningful connections come in that are important for internal loneliness, um, as well as some of the interventions like taking care um, of a pet or plants really help with that internal loneliness as well. In a sense of worth, sense of um, as individuals get older, um, sometimes there's a feeling of not uh, being able to contribute to society anymore, especially as individuals retire. 
And so having interventions like giving them a volunteer role or having them do continuous learning and education can really help with those feelings and that type of loneliness. That's really interesting that there's so many different classifications. I think a lot of times we might um, really see it as this one blanket statement, but that's that's really interesting. Um, do you think that any of those types would, would be more applicable to students and I guess are queen students or, or beyond at, at a university age? Absolutely. Um, I think that a lot of them or any of them can be applicable. And, you know, I'm in no way a 100% expert on loneliness specifically. Um, and I, you know, focus most of my research on older adults. But um, being a student myself and struggling with different mental health um, issues as I went through schooling, I found that that internal loneliness piece um, was really prominent, not only in myself, but my peers as well. And so some of that research um, and activities that you can do, whether it's fostering um, a pet, which I have done actually, and that was one of the ways that I combated my own loneliness was fostering. And um, as I sit here doing this podcast with my three cats, I think it was pretty successful. But uh, um, other things like um, talking about mental health and normalized talking about it is really important, especially in a young age, because the more that we learn to talk about mental health and normalize talking about it, um, the more that continues throughout and into older age. And so it's important that um, really that take home message is that those meaningful connections are important, but not everyone experiences loneliness the same. And so even for students, um, trying if trying different interventions, activities can be really helpful. Um, that Sunshine program I gave as an example, it's supposed to, its purpose is to help socially isolated seniors, but it can also be really helpful for students to be involved in something, feel like they're giving back to the community, be able to talk to someone outside of their regular peer group. Um, and so different aspects like that um, and different programs like that can be just as beneficial for students as they are for older adults. And really, it's important to teach um, at a young age the importance of mental health and the importance of uh, being involved in these social programs so that um, we can continue through the life course. And if someone is struggling with loneliness or struggling with their mental health, um, they have the tools that they can use whatever age they're at, whether a student, middle age or older adults, um, they have the tools that they can use to help them through that harder period. Yeah, I really like um, kind of the connections you brought up to students and their own mental health as well. Um, and also some suggestions, like you mentioned, them getting involved in uh, that program you were talking about as a way to feel like they're getting back, giving back to the community and that can have positive impacts on their mental health, really. Um, so, you know, of course, like you mentioned, although your research is more isolated to older adults, these lessons could be applicable to us, especially given uh, what a lot of students have been going through. And we want to know really what other general takeaways would you want students to know from your research? Any other ways uh, your research could benefit the, the, uh, students and their mental health more generally? Yeah, um, I think the first one is also knowing that it's okay to reach out for support and help. And what I've learned through my research is that um, anyone and anybody, anyone can be struggling um, with with mental health, with different aspects of loneliness and isolation. And um, over and over again, it's important to have those supports and being able to reach out. But that also speaks to the different organizations like 
like Queens um, or whether you're working a job or anything like that, making sure that um, these organizations like Queens have the steps in place and have the support available um, so that students can feel like they can reach out when they need it. In terms of my research, um, what I'd love for people to take away is recognizing that um, older adults have mental health too, and that getting older doesn't necessarily mean that means you're going to be lonely and depressed. Um, but it's important to include older adults in the conversation about their own health. And repeatedly we found, um, which is why I'm taking this participatory action research approach, is that older adults haven't been included in the conversation about their health, about COVID, um, about loneliness, about mental health, about long-term care placement. They've really not had a voice um, in, in their research, in the organizations, in how um, the different policies are set up. So I'd love for people to explore more of including older adults um, if they're doing research on older adults to include them in that conversation. And then also just sort of rethink of how we think about aging. Healthy aging starts at any age. Um, we know that um, with mental health, it's important to start early. And similar with students, it's important to prioritize your mental health um, all throughout your life. And so prioritizing it now as a student, whether you're struggling or you're not struggling, is still so important to develop the tools and develop the support system in your life so that throughout your life, um, you can successfully sort of maintain your mental health. And if anything does happen, you have that resiliency, the tools and the support you need um, to deal with it. And then when, when one day we all get old, it's important to um, also acknowledge that there are other supports out there. Um, and that is your mental health is sort of just as important when you're older as when you're younger as well. That's really great. I think those are some some really great strategies and some really great things to keep in mind. And as we're sort of coming to our close here, is there anything else you want to add? Anything, any last words you want to leave the, the listeners with? Um, I'd just like to thank you again both for having me. I really appreciate it. And I think um, the only other thing is that, you know, mental health is complex, as is loneliness um, and different aspects of social, social isolation. And obviously, we've had um, a difficult few years with COVID. And so for anyone who is struggling, um, I just really want to say that it's okay and they're not alone and that there definitely are supports out there if they need it. Um, I think that's an important message that maybe is said a lot, but not everyone hears. And sometimes people just need to hear that they're not alone um, and that um, there are people who are willing to be out there and listen to them and support them when they need it. So um, with any research or information on mental health, I think that's the sort of number one takeaway. Um, that I would like to get the message out about. That's really great. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it's, it's certainly something that I'm sure many people will be, will be happy to hear. Um, so with that, we, we want to extend a really big thank you to you, Madison, for, for joining us today. We really loved hearing about your research and all of your experiences and expertise that you've gained over the years. 
Um, thank you so, so much. We, we really do appreciate it. And for our listeners, if you want to get involved with Queen's Health Outreach and hear about our upcoming events, then make sure to follow our Instagram at Q Health Outreach. Um, follow along with our Facebook page. And as well, um, you can find some information on our website at www.qho.ca. So thank you for listening and stay tuned for more health-related discussions in the future. Thank you again, Madison. Thank you.